Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Monday, January 23rd, 2023. It's been 3,253 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 334 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we assess that we overreacted to the Russian offensive in Zaporizhia, which was significantly overestimated by Ukrainian sources, and that Ukrainian forces maintain the battlefield initiative except on the Solidar-Bakhmut axis. Second, we assess that the Russian military within Ukraine remains combat ineffective and continues to use World War II tactics that Field Marshal Georgi Zhukov would recognize to move the line of conflict. Third, we maintain that the power struggle between military leaders aligned with Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu versus those aligned with private military company or PMC Wagner Group head Yevgeny Prigozhin will continue. Fourth, We assess there remains a very high risk of punitive missile strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure before the end of January. Fifth, we further assess that Russian forces will continue to target electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure. Sixth, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. Seventh, We maintain there will be a second wave of partial mobilization in the Russian Federation in January or February 2023. And finally, we maintain that the threat of Russian forces in Belarus crossing into Ukraine as part of a major offensive operation is only a remote possibility. Let's get some regional updates, and since it's Monday, check in with both belligerents' objectives— starting with the Donbass region in Luhansk. The Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, hold current defensive lines, and control insurgency. The Ukrainian objective is to break Russian defensive lines, advance on Svatova, Kremina, and Lusychansk, and support insurgents. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported that fighting was light and positional along the entire axis except for north of Svatova. On the Svatova axis, Ukrainian forces continued offensive operations in the direction of Kuzemivka from Novoselivsk, with the Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reporting that Ukrainian forces are now occupying the northern edge of the village. Based on intelligence, we moved the line of conflict further into Kuzemivka. 
On the Kremina axis, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported Ploshanka and Chervonopopivka were shelled throughout the day, while a Ukrainian source and mercenaries with Rybar reported positional fighting in Ploshanka. Mercenaries with Wargonzo reported that Kremina was shelled throughout the day. The Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian positions in Dibrovo were shelled, while the GSAFU reported the hamlet of Kuzmina was shelled. Ukrainian and Russian sources stated that the Serebriansky woods to the south of Kremina were shelled throughout the day. We did not adjust the map to show Kuzmina as contested because, in our assessment, control of the area is frequently changing, sometimes multiple times a day. The Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, Joint Center for Coordination and Control, or JCCC, reported that rockets fired by HIMARS hit Pokrovsk and Starobilsk. The separatist group also released pictures showing the destroyed factory in Kadyivka, which local residents reported was being used as a field hospital for Russian troops. As with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to them in our full situation report on Patreon. In northeast Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, defend against Ukrainian advances toward Luhansk, and capture Bakhmut. The Ukrainian objective is to defend Bakhmut, push into the Luhansk oblast, and minimize civilian casualties. On the Kremina axis, Russian DRG attempted reconnaissance in the direction of Terny on the Donetsk-Luhansk administrative border and was intercepted by Ukrainian forces. On the Siversk axis, fighting continued east of Vernokhamyanskye, with Russian forces moving their focus from Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. Some assessment here. The terrain from the Luhansk administrative border to Vernokhamyanskye is less favorable than the approaches to Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk. Russian commanders continue to send in weakened forces with inadequate armor, artillery, and close air support. If the existing forces could not hold Russian defensive lines north and southeast of Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, we don't see how the same force could successfully capture Vertnokomyanskia. Fighting continued in the eastern part of Spirna, with no change in the situation. Russian and Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting in Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk. A stunning video from Wargonzo showed one of their mercenaries barely escaping with their life in Bilohorivka, with at least one bullet striking the earth just inches away as they ran for cover. Wargonzo attributed the video to Bilohorivka in Donetsk, but we have doubts after reviewing the geography, and they could have meant the Bilohorivka in Luhansk. On the Solidar axis, Ukrainian forces remained under significant pressure to hold their current lines of defense, and there was little change in the situation. A Ukrainian and Russian source reported Krasnopolivka was captured, while the Russian MOD reported Ukrainian troops were shelled. A video shows Ukrainian forces suffered significant losses in the hamlet north of Sil. We did not, however, update the map due to the conflicting information. The self-declared leader of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, Denis Pushilin, toured the eastern areas of Solidar with members of PMC Wagner. Pushilin announced that the DNR would not set up humanitarian aid centers because the situation was unstable, most civilians fled, and the penal units of PMC Wagner were already provided humanitarian aid. 
Pushilin's claims go against Russian propagandists' narrative that thousands of civilians were left behind in Solidar to be used as human shields by Ukrainian forces. Southwest of Solidar, Russian forces continued to press Ukrainian defenses in Krasnohora, where the situation remained fluid but stable. A day after claiming Blahodatne was captured, the Russian MOD reported that Ukrainian troops in the settlement were hit by artillery, while Ukrainian sources reported continued fighting. On the Bakhmut axis, the heaviest fighting was on the eastern and southeastern edges. Ukrainian forces used M142 HIMARS and intense close air support with Mi-8 helicopters and Su-24 and Su-27 multi-role fighter aircraft. Mercenaries with PMC Wagner shot down an Mi-8 helicopter during one of the sorties. Our assessment that the January 21st Russian attack on Yehidne was a squad or platoon-sized DRG force was accurate. It's been four days since PMC Wagner claimed their forces captured Klishivka, and there are still no pictures or videos to support the claim. Our favorite FSB colonel convicted war criminal Kremlin pariah and failed Mobik Igor Girkin Strelkov claimed fighting continued, and a Ukrainian source reported that Ukrainian troops were continuing their counterattack. Our assessment on Saturday that PMC Wagner's advances on Predtechne was a squad or platoon-sized DRG unit was also accurate. NASA Fire Information for Resource Management Systems, or FIRMS, indicated that Russian positions near Mayorsk had come under heavy artillery fire. In southwest Donetsk, the Russian objective is to integrate the oblast into the Russian Federation, capture the rest of the oblast, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. The Ukrainian objective is to lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. On the Avdiivka axis, there was only positional fighting. The First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, heavily shelled Avdiivka in the morning but did not conduct offensive operations. Fighting continued in parts of Vodyana, and Russian forces attempted to push into Pervomaiske without success. On the Marinka axis, Russian and Ukrainian forces are swapping control of trenches and defensive positions in eastern Krasnohorivka, where the most significant fighting in southwest Donetsk continued. Wargonzo is the only Russian source that insists that fighting continues in the western part of Marinka, despite the overwhelming video evidence released by Russian sources last week showing that it is a false claim. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces held their defensive lines, with Donetsk Oblast administrative and military governor Pavlo Kirilenko stating that separatists with the DNR only fired sporadically at the town. Elements of the First Army Corps Elements of the First Army Corps continued attempts to capture Pobida without success. NASA firms showed a thermal anomaly at the chemical plant in Russian-occupied Makiivka. The facility has been used to house Russian military equipment and has been a frequent target of Ukrainian rockets fired by HIMARS. In Mariupol, insurgents spray-painted, quote, glory to the armed forces of Ukraine, end quote, on the wall of Russian barracks. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, 
please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at News. Moving on to Kherson and Zaporizhia. The Russian objective is to prevent Ukrainian offensives into Kherson and Zaporizhia, integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective is to liberate Russian-occupied areas, prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and protect civilians. There was mutual shelling on the west and east banks of the Dnipro. Yaroslav Yanushevich, Kherson Oblast administrative and military governor, had not released the daily report outlining artillery strikes on free Ukraine at the time of recording, but social media reports hinted that activity was light. Pictures and videos showed Russian-occupied Olishki and Novokhovka were shelled by Ukrainian forces. The claims by Russian sources of a major offensive on the Zaporizhia axis, amplified by some Ukrainian social media accounts, are false. While there had been fighting for the first time in months along the axis, the Russian advances were small, did not receive enough armor or artillery support, and ultimately failed. On the Juliapola axis, the GSAFU reported that Malinivka was shelled. On the Orkhiv axis, Russian forces shelled Malatokmachka throughout the day. Claims that Novodanilivka was captured were false, with Wargonzo reporting the Russian attack failed. There was also no change in the status of Nestirianka, which remains contested. West of Orekhiv, Wargonzo reported that Sherbaki, Mali Sherbaki, and Stepova, the one west of Orekhiv, not the one on the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border, remain under Ukrainian control, and that Russian attacks on Friday never reached the settlements. A geolocated video showed that Russian forces suffered significant losses in their failed attack on Mali Sherbaki. Russian sources claim there is ongoing fighting in Kamyanskya on the east bank of the Dnipro River. We're skeptical of these claims based on the batch of false claims over the last week, but we acknowledge that our favorite failed Mobik, Strelkov, is a very accurate source. There is still no change in the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, the composition of the Black Sea fleet changed, with 11 ships on patrol, including four missile carriers capable of launching up to 32 caliber cruise missiles. In our assessment, the ongoing rotation is not a positive sign and could indicate that vessels used for the January 14th missile strikes on Ukrainian infrastructure are reloading. There were massive delays for the Kerch Strait ferry again, with traffic backed up to the Kamerian Highway. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Once again, it has been zero whole days since the Russian Federation threatened nuclear war. State Duma Chairman Vyacheslav Volodyan warned that if the United States and NATO countries supply weapons that will be used to strike civilian cities and attempt to seize Russian territories, this will lead to retaliatory measures using more powerful weapons, saying, quote, By their decisions, Washington and Brussels are leading the world to a terrible war, to completely different military operations than today, when strikes are carried out exclusively on military and critical infrastructure used by the Kyiv regime. End quote. Quick sidebar, I would like to know what dictionary Volodyan is using, because I don't generally think of apartment buildings, maternity hospitals, and playgrounds 
as military infrastructure. As a reminder, Ukraine has already struck Russian military facilities outside of Moscow using its internally developed technology and conducted multiple missile strikes on Russian airbases in the Rostov Oblast. Dmitry Medvedev claimed that by providing added military aid to Ukraine, Ukrainian forces would try to destroy Russia on NATO's behalf. He believes that a new coalition would form to defeat the West, saying, quote, In the event of a protracted conflict, at some point, a new military alliance will form from those countries that the Americans and their pack of castrated dogs got. This has always happened in the history of mankind during long wars. And then the states will finally throw old Europe and the remnants of the unfortunate Ukrainians away. End quote. Russia's coalition of the willing has shrunk over the last 11 months, and the number of countries that initially indicated they would recognize the annexation of Crimea, Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia, and Kherson has shrunk since October. Vasil Luzinski, deputy minister of Hromada, Territory and Infrastructure Development, was arrested on January 21st after being accused of accepting a $400,000 bribe to influence the purchase of electrical generators. On January 22nd, the Cabinet of Ministers of Ukraine dismissed Lozinsky, with Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky saying, quote, I want this to be our signal to everyone whose actions or behavior violate the principle of justice. End quote. In an interview on France's LCI TV, Germany's Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock was asked what would happen if Poland or other nations arbitrarily sent Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. Baerbock said, quote, For the moment, the question has not been asked, but if we were asked, we would not stand in the way. End quote. It's unclear if she was speaking on behalf of the German government or the Green Party, of which she is a member. United States Congressional Representative Michael McCall, from the Texas 10th District, a Republican, and head of the House Foreign Relations Committee, called for the Biden administration to send M1A1 Abrams tanks to Ukraine to help break the German deadlock and help increase combat power, saying, quote, The two main things Zelensky is talking about, and everyone I've talked to, is they need tanks for the winter offensive that the Russians are going to launch, and they need long-range artillery. End quote. Russian mill bloggers are puzzled about why the West is obsessing over 19 Leopard 2 main battle tanks, or NBTs, when Ukraine will be supplied with billions in aid and hundreds of armored vehicles. Sasha Kotz wrote, quote, With the U.S. package for $2.5 billion, plus several hundred pieces of armored vehicles and artillery following the results of Rammstein, it is somehow strange to arrange dances with tambourines exclusively around the leopards. End quote. Speaking of wildcats, let's talk about Russian mobilization. Russian mill blogger Vladlen Tatarsky claimed that the Russian armed forces have run out of Tiger Mine Resistant Ambush Protection Vehicles, or MRAPs, and are having to rely on UAZ so-called Scooby-Doo vans, which are nicknamed Loaves by the Russians. The UAZ loaf was introduced 57 years ago and is as reliable as a Soviet-era tractor, but it is a civilian vehicle that offers no armor protection and is getting stuck in Ukrainian mud due to the unseasonably warm weather conditions in some regions. Russian propagandist Alexander Slodkov believes Russia will conduct a second wave of partial mobilization, saying, quote, 
I'm really sure that there will be a second partial mobilization, at least in order to consolidate the lessons of the first mobilization and to change the men of the first wave. End quote. Our favorite failed Mobik Strelkov wrote why he believes Russia will ultimately lose the war in Ukraine, writing, quote, The majority of mobilized servicemen of the Russian Federation Armed Forces have no motivation to sacrifice themselves against the armed forces of Ukraine, since the goals of the war are not only not explained by the authorities, but are not even officially defined at all. End quote. He also took a swipe at the Russian Ministry of Defense and PMC Wagner. Quote, Wagner hired units, which have their own internal ideology, characteristic of Landsknechts, combined with the most severe repressive discipline that goes beyond even the wartime legislation of the USSR era. End quote. Quick sidebar. The Landsknecht were German mercenaries from the 14 and 1500s, with PMC Wagner employing similar tactics of sending advance units with little hope of surviving, placing poorly trained units at the front of the ranks and the most experienced fighters in the rear. Strelkov also made a thinly veiled accusation that PMC Wagner is a neo-Nazi organization, writing, quote, The command can conduct a full-fledged offensive only in very narrow, limited areas, where you can conduct military operations without involving other forces except for the Death Head attack aircraft. If someone does not like this definition, please look at the emblems of Wagner. End quote. The Death Head attack aircraft is a reference to PMC Wagner having a private air force. By referencing Wagner's emblems in the manner he did, he directly connects the symbolism to Nazi Germany's Waffenschutzstaffel Totenkopf division. We are guessing that Strelkov wants to add execution by sledgehammer to his endgame list, which already includes life imprisonment after a trip to The Hague, defenestration, or special tea with Putin. All is going to plan. In War Crimes and Human Rights, Ivan Fedorov, the exiled mayor of Melitopol, has recommended that Ukrainians waiting to cross into free Ukraine at Vasilivka should return to Melitopol and register for a bus convoy that is going to Romania, leaving on January 31st. Russian occupiers closed the crossing on December 15th, quote, for the holidays, and never reopened it. Considering the small-scale offensive launched on January 20th, it appears the closure was to hide Russian military activity near Luhova and Kamyanskia. In economic news, the ruble opened the week slightly down, with an exchange rate of 69 for one U.S. dollar. Western oil prices are flat in early trading, with WTI crude holding at $82 a barrel and Brent unchanged at $88. Russian Ural's crude was also unchanged at $59 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline on the spot market will start the week flat as well at $2.64 a gallon or $0.70 cents a liter. Dutch TTF natural gas futures are down in early trading, dropping 2% to €66 Euros per megawatt hour for February and off 1% to €67 Euros for March 2023 delivery. Chicago SRW wheat futures will start the week flat, trading at $7.43 a bushel for March 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. 
To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.